Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Good morning, everybody. Happy Hump Day. Welcome into Soccer Morning. Here we go on a Wednesday, firing off Champions League Day. We had Champions League yesterday, more Champions League today, both kinds. European, North American, CONCACAF Champions League getting underway, final getting underway tonight in Mexico City. Very much looking forward to that. A couple of, today is a full day of soccer. If you want to partake in various different versions of the sport, you've got the UEFA Champions League coming up this afternoon. You've got the CONCACAF Champions League coming up tonight. The United States U23s take on the Mexico U23s in a friendly in Carson. So that's on the agenda as well. We're going to cover all of these things today on Soccer Morning. As uh, as I've been doing all this week, since we announced it on Monday, I think it's time again to review the situation as it relates to our big start on Sirius XMFC. And I say start because this show is not going away. This version of the program, the show that is Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk, that's streamed on the web and available on iTunes after the fact, is not going away. And on YouTube. We're going to do that every day from 9 to 10-ish a.m. Eastern. The Sirius XMFC show from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern is a completely different program. Completely different. Two different hours. No video in that case. Only available if you, if you subscribe to Sirius XMFC. Or sorry, Sirius XM. We've established that there is, in fact, a, an on-demand feature available with some packages of Sirius that allow you to play the show back later on. So you should be able to do that. Sirius is available on your phone, clearly in your car. You know that. So if you're interested, go sign up. You make sure you get the package that has Sirius XMFC, and you'll be able to hear the new show from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. But if you're just, if you don't want to do that, that's a little too much. You can't justify the expense. Totally get it. This show's not going anywhere. It'll just be moved back an hour and start at 9 a.m. instead of 10 a.m. So everybody should be clear on this, right? Everybody clear? We got, we got it? We've had a lot of questions. I understand. It's a little bit confusing. Especially since both shows are going to be operating under the same name. But it's two different shows. All right. On this program today, Lander Sherlakins to talk about the Champions League. We got those two matches yesterday. Two matches coming up today. We'll look uh, both backwards and forwards. Get Leander's thoughts on how these quarterfinals um, are playing out and what to expect from the two teams that have already advanced to the semis and who might be joining them today. Also on today's program, our friend Eric Gomez from south of the border. Oh, sorry. I got my, uh, I got my guests mixed up. I apologize for that. I think five minutes before the show, it still said that. Giannis Mihalik will join us today. Giannis is excellent. I'm glad that we've, uh, <laughs> I'm glad that we fixed that. Apologies. Giannis Mihalik will join us to talk Champions League at 10-10. So in a couple of minutes. Got that wrong. But Eric Gomez is definitely on the show, right? Right? This is the fun of live radio. Eric Gomez on this show to talk about Mexico. We'll preview the Champions League final with Club America hosting the Montreal Impact tonight. We've got uh, Cuauhtémoc Blanco going out as a champion. Copa MX final. Puebla beating Chivas Guadalajara last night 
Blanco getting a hero's, uh, hero's uh, send-off last night on the shoulders of his teammates, being cheered and feted. Long career in Mexican football. 42 years old, Cuauhtémoc Blanco. A legend down there. A legend in certain parts of the United States as well, clearly. Miguel Herrera's uh, U20, I'm sorry, Miguel Herrera's decisions between the Copa America and the Gold Cup will be on my agenda as well. And we might talk about what Eric Gomez expects from that U23 team that's taking on the United States in California this evening. In the news, again, Champions League, top of the list. Barcelona taking down PSG 2-0. Neymar with a pair of goals. Always expected Barcelona to finish that off, especially since they had dominated in the away leg in Paris. Just was Paris PSG just not up to the task here. Lots of talent in that squad, but Edison Cavani didn't get it done. Zlatan can't carry the whole load by himself. He didn't get good performances out of guys like Pastore. It just wasn't there for them. And Barcelona, Iniesta on fire, playing like he's uh, ten years younger. We already know about that triumvirate at the front: Neymar, Messi, Suarez. Nearly impossible to stop. Nearly impossible. You have to be on top of your game to have any chance at all of stopping those guys from scoring. Now, maybe you can outscore Barcelona, and we'll see if that's the case in the next round. But for the time being, PSG didn't have the guns to get it done. Meanwhile, in Germany, Bayern Munich, after going down 3-1 in the away leg in Portugal, it didn't look dire because it's Bayern Munich, and you know they have the talent to get by. But it did. you, you did wonder, hey, maybe, maybe this is going to be a challenge. Well, challenge accepted, challenge uh, challenge accomplished, challenge checked off the list as Bayern Munich absolutely eviscerated Porto in that first half and then just went on, tack on a few more goals. Okay, Lewandowski, Thomas Mueller, Thomas Mueller is on uh, just top of his game. Thomas Mueller, a lot of talk about Thomas Mueller and how good he is and whether or not he's underrated. I don't underrate the guy. Maybe he's underrated. Maybe because he's been uh Bayern fixture, you take him for granted. Maybe because he's not flashing, you take him for granted. But if you're building a team, you could do a hell of a lot worse. He may be the third or fourth guy on that list. You're building a team. You're starting a team from scratch. You want to go to win the Champions League. Yeah, Thomas Miller is a guy that you might want in that squad. He certainly would be in, in most people's first choice to go win a Champions League. But he might be the second or third guy you pick. Uh, Pep Guardiola tearing his pants was hilarious. Got a little excited. That suit just a little too tight. That's the style these days. Pep uh, showing a little leg last night in in, uh, in Munich. The Champions League today, Monaco and Juventus. Juventus takes a one-goal aggregate lead to the Principality with a chance to advance. Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid in the return leg of that grudge match, the Madrid Derby, and the element here that it's most talked about is the fact that this is going to have to be Cristiano Ronaldo's show. There's no Gareth Bale. There's no Luka Modric. There's no Karim Benzema. There's no Marcelo. This is going to be a lot for Cristiano Ronaldo to do. Again, Real Madrid, incredibly talented team, has the depth to get by. But without those fixtures, it's going to be a different challenge. Can you stop Griezmann? Can you can you handle Atletico Madrid's physicality? Because if Ronaldo gets frustrated, I don't know. It's going to be interesting. And we'll talk uh, tack this on to the discussion with Eric Gomez a little bit later. 
Chicharito Hernandez. Will he get the start? Expect him to get the start. What kind of, uh, what kind of impact can he have on Real Madrid with Benzema gone? Concacaf Champions League first leg, as I mentioned, Club America and Montreal Impact is sellout at the Azteca. Montreal sold something like 60,000 tickets for their leg next week. What does Montreal need to do to give themselves a chance? How close does it need to be? How, how actually, the, the better way to ask this, and, and Club America is an inconsistent team, could it just as easily throw up a dud tonight as, as dominate Montreal. But what kind of gap can Montreal expect to, to possibly overcome? If it's not a one-goal deficit, it's going to be difficult to imagine them getting it done at home in spite of the crowd that they're going to have at Olympic Stadium. Uh, news in Mexico as well, or out of, uh, for, for Mexican football fans as well, Giovanni DeSantos to miss four weeks for Villarreal. That's not good news for him. And I mentioned Blanco going out on top. 4-2 winners at Puebla in the Copa MX final. Final game for Blanco. He's retiring. He's going to go into politics, probably win everything. We'll follow his career. Love it when uh, former footballers go into politics. USA-Mexico U23 battle at the StubHub Center is tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern. It's actually is, it actually is broadcast on Univision, Deportes, and Unimas if you want to watch that. So there you go. All right, let's take a break. When we come back, the guy that I, I got it wrong, but I got it right now, Janusz Mahalik, very much looking forward to this. Talk some Champions League. It's Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Facing the crowd. You're talking too loud. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking a little Champions League with our friend Yannis Shahalik. You know him from ESPN, Fox. He's all over the place. He's a busy guy. We were just talking about his schedule. I, I don't even know if I could handle it, Yannis. And you're traveling, and you're all over the place. I, you're, you're just you're a marvel. And it's your birthday. So happy birthday. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much, and congratulations to you and Trevor. Uh, uh, Sirius XMFC, I know how long you've been working for that. So uh, it's awesome to see people like you getting uh, their rewards. I appreciate so, uh, that. I appreciate I'm looking that. forward uh, to, to, to that. And uh, uh, since I'm there from time to time, maybe we'll get to chat. Absolutely. I expect that we will. We get to chat now. We get to chat about the Champions League. And both of those matches yesterday, um, you know, I guess I'll start with, with Barcelona. We may end up spending more time on Bayern Munich. Uh, Barcelona 2 nothing over PSG. And before we get to what Barcelona brings Neymar with a couple of goals, Iniesta just, uh, you know, I, I don't know. I was going to say recapturing some glory. And I've seen some quotes from him that saying I never went anywhere, which is true. It, it was a, it was a strong performance from him. The other end of this is, is PSG. And just, I, I don't know. Is this, um, is this a lack of, uh, is, is this a lack of just the, the extra element that teams need to have to succeed? Is it a bad, draw every time out when they get Barcelona what is it that's missing for PSG well I, I think yeah I mean you know when to, to become a winner is such, such a fine line isn't it uh, right and you look at the first leg it was decided then uh, obviously they were missing key players in that game uh, look it, you know it's not out of convenience that we're going to mention David Luiz but when you look yeah. at both legs I mean he was guilty 
guilty on, I could probably say four to five goals, right? Uh, I mean, look, uh, you know that you, against any team, but especially against Barcelona, you have to be sound there. You have mm-hmm. to have a unit that understands uh, what defending means. And, and first and foremost understands that defending comes first if you're a defender. Because we forget about that, don't we? You know, we talk about fullbacks that are bombing forward and, and we love it, right? We talk, you know, how many, you know, they're being encouraged to do that, right? But first things first, and that's defending. And David Luiz, uh, he's not a defender. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's repeating, you know, it's worth repeating that because everybody knows that, but his managers, for some reasons, no matter where he plays. <laughs> I know. And, you know, and I hate to put it on him because, of course, it's never as, as, as simple as that. But, you know, that's a start right there. I mean, they, I think they have players that are ready to step to that level. And, and, you know, they're close. We, I think you and I have chatted about it. I think they're closer to Manchester City. You know, it's a new project. And, and, and we know, look, it, it took, it took, look how long it took Real Madrid to get the La Decima. Mm-hmm. It's not that simple, even if you have great players. On the other side of things for Luis Enrique and Barcelona, it just could not have gone better in this tie. They dominated in Paris. They dominated home. Uh, they... They may not, I mean, you know, we're going to get to, to what Bayern Munich did to Porto here in a, in a minute, but after the first leg, you sort of, you sort of picked this out and said, Oh, wait, look at this. Maybe, maybe Barcelona is the favorite to, to go on and win this title. They probably still are. And again, Bayern Munich was, uh, was rampant against Porto, but what is it, that, what is it about Barcelona? And again, you know, when you have that, that trio of attacking talent, that's almost right. impossible to stop. That's going to, to, to paper over a lot of cracks, but are they, are they a complete enough team to go out and get this done? If they end up saying, playing somebody like, let's say Atletico Madrid comes through and they have to face a team that's going to maybe do a better job of, of locking them down. I think they are a better team. Let's not forget, you know, they got hammered by, uh, by, by Bayern Munich, right? Because of that lack of balance. Uh, but defensively, you have to say that they're much better. I mean, how can you not say that? Pique is playing much better. Mascherano has always been steady for them, right? But then you look at it like somebody like Jeremy Mathieu, right? No nonsense defender who understands what defending is. On set pieces, as we've seen in La Liga, it's got a couple goals, right? Uh, and, you know, and you could argue that he should have been a starter over Mascherano. So all of a sudden you have uh, Luis Enrique that actually has choices in the back. Remember last year or the year before, he had no choices. You look at that and he says, oh, my God, defensively, this is a disaster, right? Mm. Uh, so I think you have to admit that they're much, much better. Uh, again, I think Iniesta's just coming good. We have to say that. And he understands that. Yeah, he's never left, but he's never been the same. Right. You know, this was the sort of run that uh, defies uh, what, what kind of player he is. Uh, it's just incredible. So, uh, you know, that's a, a plus. Busquets has had injuries. He's as wonderful as it gets if he doesn't go down to, uh, to ground too early, of course. Uh, we know that's a minus in his game. But overall, uh, you know, don't let the haters tell you, oh, he goes down this and that because he's a marvelous, marvelous player in that position exactly what you need in that and look i mean suarez is coming good you knew it was going to take time right uh you knew you know the six games whatever it was i can't remember now at the beginning of the season you pay the price for that uh, i still don't think he's a a hundred percent but if he gets that extra five percent say that's a huge difference in, you know in the latter stages of la liga and the champions league and messi is messy you know it's as simple as that so I think they are deeper, you know, Rakitic, for example, what an addition he has been, right? I mean, he's your, you know, Xavi, and I'm not not trying to compare the two, but, you know, we knew Xavi was 
part of the reason that Barcelona struggled, right? Because he was kind of getting older and you couldn't get as much out of him. In comes Rakitic, you know, Rakitic, uh, you know, early on he had to adjust. Now he's doing a great job. So, yes, this is a, a, a much different and, and a better Barcelona team. However, as you said, I mean, it's a fine line, and Bayern Munich is going to be a, a, a one, you know, obstacle to uh, uh, negotiate, and so Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, I mean, you can't, even if I were to tell you that Barcelona is even better than they were, say, in 99, 2000, when they weren't winning at all, there's still no guarantees, because, the, you know, there's two or three teams that can, over the course of, of, of two legs in the semifinals, mm. that, that can deal with you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, when you, you know, I think this is going to be interesting to look at, and depending on how this tournament plays out and, and what Barcelona actually accomplishes, you know, there's going to be some comparisons to the, to the Pep teams. And obviously Pep is still in this tournament having a major influence on this tournament. But, but, you know, a little bit of talk, uh, Janish, for, for those who have, who have become attached to Barcelona, whether it was four or five years ago or even before that, the difference between a Pep Guardiola led Barcelona and what we're seeing now under Luis Enrique. Different, different use of press. Although you see that Luis Enrique is using that, but maybe, you know, not the same as Pep did. I think you have some young players that, it, it, well, and the, the press goes with the, the, the white players uh, mm-hmm. that we have to mention because Pedro was, you know, uh, Messi and Neymar don't have the same role. Messi was more central. When you look at Pedro, the runs that he made behind the back four, the little diagonal runs were incredible, right? Remember at that time, I have to be honest with you. I didn't really know who Pedro was, to be quite honest. Mm. I don't think anybody did. And if they did tell you that they knew, fair, fair play to them, right? I mean, here's a player that scored in that year, if memory serves right, I think they won all trophies in the world, right? Like six trophies. <laughs> yeah. He scored in every competition, right? And, and remember how he was used. So I think when you look at Neymar and Messi, I think they were a little bit more direct, even with David Villa, although many suggest that, that, that he was a source of frustration uh, uh, for, uh, for uh, Pep Guardiola in a way, but he was still wonderful the way he got to the, the byline, right? Remember his tight runs. We even see that here a little bit, uh, uh, um, you know, in, in MLS right now. So, so I think that's different. Uh, you, I, I think of Suarez, Messi, and Neymar, players that maybe use a little bit more touches on the ball. Mm-hmm. They still like to combine and get on the end of that, right? Those one-twos where they get in front of goal. But I don't think you see as much of that, you know, early ball out of the midfield, what Iniesta and Xavi were great, where they would find, right, that beautiful threaded pass uh, through, and you could see Pedro and Dia from time to time, and Messi slashing through, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I think that is a big difference, if you remember, to those years. Not to say it's worse, it's different. Uh, and as I said, I think the high press is there now. You can see that Barcelona is coming back to that. But I, I, I'm not sure that it's, it's, a, it's a, as effective as it was under Pep. But it's probably not because of the players that I mentioned uh, that aren't here. In, in, in when we talk about Neymar, Suarez, Messi, when they're all in the field together, it, it, it's been true in this tournament to a certain extent. Look, they obviously all, uh, they're all part of the chances that Barcelona creates more often than not. But you have you have this dynamic where one day it's Neymar and he like yesterday scores a couple of goals leads them to a victory uh, finishes the next the last week it was Suarez uh, or the first leg it was Suarez excuse me then you have you know obviously you have Messi doing what Messi does but he he's not maybe not as streaky but he certainly can be if Neymar isn't isn't playing well enough or Suarez isn't getting his chances it's going to be messy it's almost like they're taking turns here how do you account for that when you're a defender when you're when you're 
uh, setting up to a- attempt to stop Barcelona. How do you account for any of that? Well, you just don't. You, you hope for the best. You know, when you have that sort of quality, you know, in that sort of movement, uh, you, you know, you have to be disciplined and you can't chase. I think the teams that start chasing uh, those three, uh, they're going to be uh, picked apart. So you have to let them come to you. You have to be nice and tight, right? And and just you know and 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 time it perfectly. But I think a lot of times you chase it. And by the way, I want to add to that. Uh, you know, the, the success of those three. You know, what's remarkable here, and we have to pay attention. Is remember when they came? Uh, I think we all were saying that they're going to need uh, an extra ball, right? We thought they were going to be selfish. We weren't right. sure, uh, you know, how is Messi going to embrace Neymar, you yeah. know, and Suarez to to a different degree. I think that's important, not just to give credit, especially to Messi. I think because he's their star, but to Luis Suarez that he did find a way. And by the way, and Messi's uh, willingness to play wide. Remember, he didn't really want to play wide, yeah. and you know, under Tato, and, and in many ways, he he played more central, didn't he? Right. And all of a sudden, you see him allowing Suarez coming in there because that's, I think we agree, it's probably the best way when he comes. And Suarez can drift as well. So I think what's important here is the, is the, it's not necessarily, you know, the opposition that's important, but the, the key here is that these three are getting along. You, you can see that. And, and, and I think they're thriving on their best qualities. They're willing to, to play a little bit of opposition and interchange. But for the opposition, uh, you know, it, it, it is so difficult. I think you do have a plan going into the match, but it's not necessarily, you know, uh, if I'm a manager, I don't think I spend a lot of time in saying this is what we got to do because, you know, it's difficult to do that against one player. Mm-hmm. Now imagine trying to do that against three. So, mm-hmm. so the best way to do it is, again, you, you, you try to keep them in front as much as you can. And the only way to do that is when they start inter- interchanging to have great communication in the back and trust in the players, you know, in the back that you can pass them on to some degree. Because once you stay, start, start chasing, say Messi comes from the, uh, you know, from the wide position inside, you know, you almost have to have that fullback kind of let him go, right? Mm-hmm. Because the moment you start chasing him, he's going to find that overlapping run of, 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 of say, Danny Alves or, or mm-hmm. whatever it may be. So, so sometimes you do have to leave them. Uh, you know, I, I, I kind of, before I move on here, I want to talk about Bayern Munich clearly. Uh, it, it almost feels to me, and this is, I don't like cross sports analogies very often, Yanish, but this is a little bit like the Miami Heat teams that had LeBron James. You felt like Dwayne Wade, LeBron James, Chris Bosch, how do they get all these guys the points they need? They went on and won a title. They can work this out. That's why they're the best players in the world. But are we still t- talking about Barcelona now or Bayern Munich? Well, Barcelona. I said Barcelona. That that was my last yes, little yes. hit there. Yes, I mean, there's a lot to be said about pure talent when you have a lot of it. You know, where the 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 role of a manager, is, is, you know, is is to let the players play. I mean, that's mm-hmm. as simple as that. You know, they're going to come good. You know, Manchester United may be a good example here, right? I mean, I, I I'm not a huge fan of of uh, of Van Gaal in general. Mm-hmm. Just rubs me the wrong way. But <laughs> uh, uh, but I I kind of never gave up on them because you know I looked at it when when they struggled, for example, throughout the season, right? And you saying as a player, you saying to yourself, they got to come good at one point by default mm-hmm. they, they've got to there's just too much talent too much on that talent, team yeah. to be doing what they're doing and 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 yes i'm sure van Gaal, you know had his philosophy and maybe players finally bought into it whatever you may it may be but at the end of the day these players are that good they're you know teams like barcelona Bayern munich manchester united they're so deep that the players by the sheer quality will will find ways of winning in number of games or the big games Let's talk about Bayern Munich, who uh, again went, uh, went uh, came back home down three one 
in their tie against Porto. It, it all set up for a pretty shocking upset. Yes, Bayern Munich's having injury problems. Yes, they, they're going through a, a bit of a, a, a rough patch. But, um, you know, Porto still, uh, made their, made their chances count, um, in, in Portugal. And they, they go to Bayern Munich and it takes all of 45 minutes for the Germans to turn it around. What, what did you see specifically from the, from the German Giants? And, and, and how much of this do we give, how much credit for this do we give to Pep Guardiola? Well, I think, again, you always do, I suppose, but, you know, it was a sucker punch, you know, that early goal and, I mean, you know, how quickly they scored. Sometimes you have to, you know, I mean, is Porto that bad? Of course they're not. They showed their quality in the first leg. We all know over the years how good they've been in, in selling and buying talented players, but it's, you know, when it goes against you, it happens. I've been in games like this where there's no, absolutely no reason or explanation why that happens. It just does. It's an avalanche of quality, right? So now you look at two teams, and on one hand, you know, you praise Bayern Munich. You know, you talk about depth, the players that they were missing, right? And there's a number of quality players that they were missing. But there's still so much you can go to that, you know, obviously at home with that sort of crowd, it can happen for you. On the flip side, look, I mean, you clearly watching this game, this is one of the few examples when you say the players that are missing just cause them. And now, I don't know if, you know, if you, if you look at Alexandro and Danilo, the two fullbacks, right? Yeah. And you look at the goals, I mean, all crosses, all headers, right? Yeah. You just have to say that if those two were there, it may have been different. Now, what that difference means, you know, maybe Porto still goes out. Do I think that there's going to be 6-1? No, because never mind the defending that they would have done, but they would have asked questions in the wide positions going forward because you know what Danilo does. There's a reason why he's going to be going to Real Madrid and even Alexandro. You know, they would allow the likes of, you know, Jackson Martinez and others to play. Those guys didn't play because they were under tremendous amount of pressure. So, so Porto doesn't have that depth. Yes, they have a number of players, but they had players in those positions, you know, that were playing out of positions, and two key players, and they got punished from those positions. So let's not overcomplicate it. Yeah. And, you know, Pep Guardiola and Bayern Munich took advantage of that. And, you know, the funny part is you can say there's no Ribéry and there's no Robin in those wide positions, right? But I wonder, and by the way, when I say this, I only mean for certain games. I almost think that this was a blessing for Bayern Munich. Mm. Because if you look at Robert Lewandowski, he's been tremendous. But the times that he is not good, it's because probably Robin and Ribéry hold on to the ball a little bit too long, right? Mm -hmm. If you watch Robert Lewandowski, put the ball in front of goal, and he will score. Mm -hmm. And he can score every which way. So I think what you saw there is the wide game for Bayern Munich was just a little bit simpler because, you know, Philip Lam likes to cross, right? He, when he yeah. gets wide, even when he used to play on the right-hand side, you know, the likes of Rafinha and Thiago and, and Bernat, when they go forward, right? I mean, the, you saw it. I mean, they enjoy crossing. They, they don't want to be coming inside for the most part. And guess what? Thomas Muller and Lewandowski benefited from it. So in a funny way, the two key players for Bayern Munich that everybody was crying about and worried about May actually, you know, that may have, may have been a good thing that they weren't there. Yeah, right. You, you're talking about constricting the space, and those players wanting to right. cut in and, and probably right. not play the ball uh, on the cross as much. And right. that clearly benefited to Bayern Munich. Um, and, and I think that there's something to be said here, Janish, for the, for the sheer amount of depth that Bayern Munich has at its disposal, whereas a team like Porto, who, you know, is, knows how to, to grow players, but is much thinner. After the first, uh, you know, after their first line, 
is without those two de- those two defenders you mentioned, Alexandro and, and Danilo, and they just don't have quite the quality behind those players to fill in the gaps. Bayern Munich could miss Ribery and Robin and Schweinsteiger and Alaba, and hey, we're okay. We still have all these other guys. Yeah, I mean, you look at that midfield, and that may be your midfield anyway. I mean, there's no guarantee that Schweinsteiger, I mean, you know, I think he's a wonderful player, but there's no guarantee with Thiago now. You saw how good he was back from injury. You have Chabi Alonso and Philip Lahm. I mean, doesn't get much better than this, to, to be quite honest. I mean, go to Lewandowski and Muller. That doesn't sound bad. I mean, it's just, it's just so much richness in that team. It, it's scary. And, you know, and of course, when they don't play well, which we've seen, you know, in the first leg, you say, oh my God, you know, it's easy to reach for the ones that aren't there. But that was simply because Porto were wonderful. And, you know, the sort of momentum Porto had in this game, right? It turned around and Bayern Munich had it. And, you know, Sometimes you just can't stop that. I, I, I can't tell you in, in, in how many games I've been where you just see coming. You know what to do, but there just isn't enough time. It's just coming at you, coming at you. And you don't have time to even make those two or three passes to just kind of stop that, right? right. And, and psychologically, I think, you know, I don't have to tell you. I mean, how many goals they scored? Five goals in the first half in, what, 25 minutes? Mm. Uh, I mean, you look at Thomas Muller, who I saw, you know, come under pressure a little bit as of late. I'm going, you know, you guys are crazy. I mean, this is guy, <laughs> you know, I saw the guy's 25 years old and 27 Champions League goals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the highest scoring German in, in Champions League history, right. and not to mention what he's done already in the World Cups, right? I mean, this is just scary what this man can do when it's when it's all said and done. Yeah, I mean, do you but do you believe that he's underrated? There's been a little bit of talk about that in light of this performance. He clearly look, he clearly is not in the right circles. I don't okay. think he's underrated right. in the right, right. circles. Well, I mean, he certainly doesn't get mentioned uh, on the level, you know, it's it's Ronaldo, it's it's Messi, right. it's Latan. You know, he should be. he should be in okay. a different way. In I a mean, different for way. pure skill, of course, we can't compare him to Messi. They're different players. They're doing similar jobs, though, right? And you know, the rate at which he's scoring in such big competitions. I mentioned the World Cups. You know, last two World Cups, what he's done. A Champions League, twenty-seven goals. Now, just get your head around it. At the age of twenty-five, twenty-seven goals. Yes, he plays for Bayern Munich and all that, but. But still, you have to score, right? I mean, uh, so so I I think I suppose to a degree I, I see where you're going with this. He is. I mean, I think we just kind of you know at the end of the day sometimes we look for people that can do something special, unbelievable. They look graceful on the ball, right? Yeah, right. But she isn't in a way. You know, this lanky, tall guy. But you know when you look at the ways he can score, and that's every which way. I don't really see why we wouldn't mention him mm. as 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 top three, four best in the world. Yeah. I don't I don't see a logical reason why not. He certainly has incredible instincts. All right, let's uh, let's turn briefly to the games that we have coming up today. Monaco down a goal at home to Juve. Um, they they are a little bit of the surprise team of this of this tournament to this point. Uh, not a not a lot of goal scoring in the group stage. They take out Ar- Arsenal and withstand. A, a, a loss at home to get through and on away goals. And now you have Juve who again, get sort of a dodgy penalty at home to take a one goal lead. But I think this sets up pretty nicely for Monaco. Well, it does. One, nothing is, is, you know, I mean, you, you're hoping at home. It's a different uh, mindset now, right? Because they actually, we're going to have to look for Monaco that wants to play, right? They, you know, I don't think they thought the job was done, but winning away at Arsenal what was a three one, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it brings you home and you could see that it affected players, right? They, the mentality was to defend that, you know, to say, well, that's in, maybe not enough, but you know, just, just a different mindset. And, and I think, 
you know, we've seen Monaco when they attack, uh, you know, they're a pretty good team. So I think, you know, because they're going to have to to some degree, they're still going to have to be cagey uh, somewhat. But, uh, but I think we're going to see a different Monaco. So I'm waiting to see, you know, how they play. I don't think Juve is comfortable uh, by any means, but this is a Juve team that's coming, uh, uh, you know, on a big high. I mean, they're just starting to play even better, which, by the way, I think we have to give them credit for because, you know, again, sort of like Bayern Munich, you know, uh, the Serie A is wrapped up again, right? Uh, you know, the motivation there, you know, might have been questioned. But if you watch the game against Lazio, who, by the way, were maybe the the most informed team and, and wonderful flying in Serie A, I mean, they destroyed them and able to rest players in the process before the game and during the game, to be honest. Uh, so I think you you have a Juventus team that is is for me just now firing on all cylinders. Actually, you know, I mean, they have some key players back. Yes, there's no Pogba, but you know, Vidal's looking good. Pereira has been wonderful. Morata, as we knew, you know, kind of asking what's taken him so long to to implement him into that starting eleven. And what can you say about Tevez? Right? right. Here's a yeah. guy that went from not scoring in the Champions League at all, to scoring in all competitions and having himself a wonderful season, you could argue one of his best. Yeah, he's just such a handful. Uh, so fun to watch, uh, Carlos Tevez, just wreak havoc on a back line. Uh, Real Madrid, Atletico Madrid, no goals in the first leg. This, uh, you know, you, you would say that this sets up pretty nicely for Atleti and Diego Simeone, especially considering the injury crisis. At uh, at Real, you have no Bale, no Benzema, no Modric, no Marcelo. It's going to be Ronaldo, James Rodriguez. How does Real Madrid get this done? Well, yeah, I mean, this is a tough one to call. I think we all sometimes uh, think that we have a reasoning or logic of who's going to win it. I, I can honestly tell you that it, it's difficult. Uh, it really is. I mean, I could make stuff up uh, here. But uh, uh, look, I mean, some degree, you know, many have been saying, you know, maybe the four four two is actually the best way to play for Real Madrid, right? Remember during the season when they had that blip? You know, there was talk about uh, removing Bale because they felt that uh, Ronaldo, you know, as you mentioned, no Benzema. But James Rodriguez has come back and looks very, very good. But but still, Colin Trowell has been a question mark. I'm disappointed because I like him. I still rate him. I still think he's a good fullback, but he hasn't been uh, uh, very, very good. Uh, you know, but still, the back four is steady. Uh, you know, um, uh, you know, Cruz, not the same. Yeah. I think Atletico will, will be, you know, they of course were the happier ones, even though they only drew at home, but they didn't concede. Yeah. I think it sets it up nicely for them to sit and, and look to counter. Uh, they're tremendous defensively. I, I don't think we have to say how good they are actually on set pieces. Uh, and, you know, uh, uh, Miranda, I think there was a question mark about him, or Godin, sorry, I can't remember now, actually. But it looks like they're going to be playing. So, Oblak, we've seen how good he's been. Yes. Uh, I, I think, I think on paper, on paper, you'd have to give a chance to Atletico. And let's not forget, I mean, you know, when was the last time that uh, Real Madrid actually beat Atletico? I think there it's like nine games that Atletico Madrid are undefeated against uh, uh, Real Madrid. You know, try to get your head, head around that. <laughs> How many teams around the world can say that, right? Yes. And when you think of Spanish teams, you don't even think that because, you know, Atletico Madrid is kind of, uh, phenomenon that's coming in just under Diego Simeone. Before that, they were the, probably the most frustrating team in the world. You know, they were a big name that just underperformed for many, many years of mismanagement, uh, I suppose, or, or coaches changing when Jesus Hill was alive years ago. But, um, you know, those are the years that I remember. So, so this is, uh, you know, that psychological, uh, 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 
effect, if you will, of, of knowing that Real Madrid hasn't beaten you for a long time. That goes to their advantage as well. So one may say that Atleti are probably slightly favorites here, but I don't know if at the Bernabeu if I can say that comfortably, to be honest. Sure. I, I'm not going out on a limb here, uh, Janish, but I just, uh, Antoine Griezmann has been in incredible form. I would imagine he's going to have a say in how this plays out. Oh yeah, I mean, he. What a story he has been, right? There's no no questions about that. But I think you know, strength in the midfield. Uh, Suarez is not there, but Thiago we've seen can play. Matter of fact, Thiago was the one that picked himself in that in that midfield for a long, long time, and Suarez is coming into it right now. Um, you know, Koke Turam, where do you go? But you know, what I like about them is that back four, though. You know, the back four and uh, with Oblak, uh, I just think they're going to make it so difficult for this uh, undermanned Real Madrid uh, team. But Antoine Griezmann is that, you know, a little bit of a whiz, uh, I suppose, that Atletico has always had, right? I mean, yeah. they've always been good with striker. Mandzukic, mm-hmm. to me, has been disappointing, but yes. he's probably a do a good game as well. Janusz Mihalik, ESPN, Fox, TSN, I'm hearing. He's also now, I guess, my colleague at SiriusXM FC, so that's good as well. Happy birthday again, Janusz. Thank you very much for your time. We'll have you back soon. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. There goes uh, Janusz. Good stuff from him on the Champions League. Let's take a break. When we come back, Eric Gomez will join us. We'll talk a bunch of stuff surrounding Mexican football. Guatemala Blanco retires a champion. Don't go anywhere. Be right back. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. Here we go, talking Mexico with our good friend Eric Gomez. Follow him on Twitter at Eric Gomez eighty six. How are you doing, man? Yeah, I'm gonna try not to change my uh, Twitter handle for the next <laughs> two weeks. Um, but yeah, that's the one. Yeah, that's you need, you need to stick with it for a while. Uh, yeah, get a commit. All right, so Eric's here. We got, we got a lot of stuff to talk about around. Mexican football, uh, and I don't even know if we'll get to the league. I mean, we certainly can come back around to it. I, I want to start with Blanco last night. Eric um, goes out on top as the Copa MX winner with Puebla four two over Chivas Guadalajara gets uh, you know gets the whole sh- uh, on the shoulders treatment. Uh, Forty two years old, it, it finally his, the window finally closes on a career that you know I, I think boggles the mind more than anything else. He's been so influential and such a character for Mexican football his entire career. Just, is it even possible to sort of sum him up in in a couple of sentences? We might need a whole show. Yeah, we might. And I think Cuauhtémoc is one of those rare cases that uh, translate beyond the Mexican game and can absolutely um, get a whole lot of people talking in the United States, not only because of what he did with the national team for so long, but also his time in MLS and, and uh, he was, he was great for Chicago. I remember eight years ago when he left everybody in, in the Mexican media game were, were thinking that this was maybe just the old retirement move. You know, I'm just going to go in and cash out for the next three years and, and maybe uh, take it easy. And that was absolutely not the case. I mean, he gave it all he had and he was fantastic. He became a cult hero in Chicago. Um, and the many times that I visited Toyota Park in that in those days, 
and uh, Sokol Demokin action. It was it was great to see him <clears throat> take the challenge as seriously as he did. But to answer your question and to try and define him, <clears throat> I think the best way that I can do that from the vantage point of the present is to say that, you know, Cuauhtémoc was the guy that linked 20th century Mexican soccer with the 21st century, mm-hmm. with the now. Um, you know, a couple of things to realize here are he played with Hugo Sanchez at the club level, with Club America back in 1992, 1993. Mm-hmm. So that's how far back his career goes, that he's able to connect with arguably the greatest Mexican player of all time on the pitch. Not only that, but I mean, he, he was one of two guys still active to have played the 1998 World Cup for Mexico. You know, that's 17 years ago. Um, the, only, the only other guy who played who's still active is uh, Oscar Conejo Perez, uh, also a 42-year-old goalkeeper. And to be fair, I think Perez is, is, is going to keep going until he's 50. So that yeah. <laughs> it, it's a little less impressive uh for him but uh but nonetheless it's it's a, it's a fantastic achievement um he's you know one of the handful of guys still active from the 2002 world cup as well so he's you know he's living he was living history for mexico and for mexican fans he was just an absolute character and one of the best players one of the best three top three top five players ever to, to suit up for mexico so much about him is fascinating, even if you're on the other side of the fence, as, as I am clearly as a U.S. Uh, fan. He, he's just, he, he did so much that became iconic that was, you know, that transcended, um, sort of those moments that he, you know, there have been great players throughout the history of that rivalry or just for Mexico in general. And maybe they don't have the same panache. I don't know if that's the right word. I mean, he had that shuffling, right. he had that shuffling gate when he ran and he, you know, the, 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 the cele- the goal celebrations and just the, the little flicks and the, uh, just the things that he could do that you didn't necessarily expect a player because he never seemed very athletic, Eric. No, absolutely not. Even in his younger days. No, he, he's very much in that, in that Juan Roman Riquelme mode, mold. Um, I remember years ago, him, you know, it struck me as, as being revolutionary for that time. Um, this was probably late 90s, early 2000s. But, you know, in Mexico, this was not the type of thing that would be said out loud. And Blanco essentially derided, you know, he knew that he was bigger than life at that, at that point. He said, you know what, my only bosses are the ones in the stands and I play for them. And if I do something on the pitch that pleases them, it doesn't matter if, the manager on the touchline is, is, is not as pleased. Um, so he, he was entertainment, pure and simple. And you would see that when he would take advantage of the biggest stages to do whatever it is that he could to, to make people smile, make people clap. And again, you know, I go back to that 1998 World Cup against South Korea where he, where he did that bunny hop move and pretty much put Mexico on the map during that World Cup and made it so that people would pay a little bit more attention to to that team the same way, you know, a guy like Miguel Herrera had people paying attention to Mexico in 2014 because of his antics. Cuauhtémoc did his on the pitch. I mean, he did them in a a live game situation. So it was was great to see, again, you know, he's one of those guys that that, um, has a resume that is very difficult to match for any Mexican football player. Um, 1999, the only Confederations Cup win for Mexico. He was a big part of that. Um, 
he was a big part of the just the complete and absolute domination that Mexico had over the Gold Cup and over over the region in the late 90s. Um, and he's pretty much the entire reason why Mexico was able to qualify for the 2002 World Cup anyway. Mm. He came back from a very, very gruesome injury, a knee injury that kept him out for the better part of a year and pretty much wrecked his chances to build a steady career in Spain, comes back in a very crucial game against Honduras and then scores two goals to put Mexico through to the, to the World Cup. So he, you know, he's had this kind of cult hero status for a long time. Mm. And to cap a 22-year career off with a trophy mm. and against the team that, you know, again, he hasn't played for America in eight years, but he is most closely identified with America and he played for the team for the better part of 15 years. Um, so to have the old horse, you know, the former America player beat Chiba yeah. in his last game and to lift up that trophy, it was just an amazing moment. Now, uh, Mexican football will be, will be poorer for the lack of, of Cuauhtémoc Blanco on the pitch, but he's, does he, is he going to be around the game? I mean, I know politics are on his agenda. Yeah, politics are on his agenda right now. I think it's, I mean, I'm not going to delve into a Mexican politics lesson on soccer <laughs> morning. Um, but, you know, it's, it's pretty clear to me that he wants to remain in the public eye, and, and, and a big part of that would be to go through with this campaign, um, help out some of his friends in the political arena. Uh, in Mexico, you need 5% of the votes in a popular election to remain active as a, um, as a political party. Otherwise, your, your register is canceled. Um, there's no question to me, that Cuauhtémoc Blanco is going to get more than 5% of the, of the mayoral votes uh, for his election. He might get a significant amount more. I'm not sure he's going to win, but he said that his plan B, so to speak, is to go to Europe for a few months. He's very good friends with Marcelo Bielsa. Bielsa coached America in the 1990s. He says Bielsa is one of his idols and has asked him many times to, to go visit him in, in, in France over the last year. He says he'll go visit Leo Benhaka, the former Real Madrid manager who also managed America in the early 90s. Um, Benhaka, of course, involved in the Dutch game. So he's got some, some friends in high places that he's going to take advantage of in order to study and um, just get a feel for the managerial game. Um, I'm pretty sure that he's going to come back in the next two to three years, and he's going to find a job as an assistant coach somewhere. And, uh, I mean, I see him coaching probably before the next World Cup. Um, whether he's going to be coaching a big team like America, I don't know. You know, that's pretty difficult to, to tell. And he's made a lot of enemies as, as well as friends over the course of his career. And, and currently, you know, the, the Club America president, uh, Ricardo Pelaez is not a, not a very good friend of Cuauhtémoc. So I think, uh, there would need to be a regime change for him to come back. Um, to the club that he loves the most, so yeah. to speak. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see him evolve from the style of player that he was to the style of manager that you can only expect him to be, which is, you know, just a, a flashy guy uh, wearing maybe not the most expensive suit, but jumping around and screaming uh, a little bit in that beautiful mold, for sure. Absolutely. Speaking of um, the club he is most associated with, Club America, in the Champions League final, first leg tonight in Mexico City against the Montreal Impact. <clears throat> I'm not I'm not saying anything anybody doesn't know when I say, excuse me, Eric, that Club America is a massive favorite 
in this tie over two legs, but they would we would expect them to build that lead tonight. And yet there may be some question over whether you know whether their their heads are always on straight for these things. Do right. you expect Club America to get the job done? We're seeing a lot of Jekyll and Hyde from Club America, and um, I think there was a lot of speculation as to whether they would even get past the, past the semifinal because of the, some of the results that they had been accruing in the league, uh, certainly not the best results. They came back, they stormed back, and beat out of the end on 6-0. Um, then they turn around, and they get clubbed at home, you know, 4-0 by Querétaro and Ronaldinho scored a couple of very lovely goals. And, uh, I mean, he, he was actually, he got standing ovation from the Estadio Azteca, almost brought him to tears. And he, he was like, well, you know, this happened to me all those years ago at the Bernabeu, and now it's happening to me again in one of the, uh, the biggest stadiums in the world and a stadium that's very, very near and dear to Brazilians' hearts because of the 1970 World Cup. Mm-hmm. It was still weird to see, you know, it was, it was very strange to see 80,000 Club America fans in those yellow jerseys applauding a rival player. And I don't think that would have happened, even if it were Ronaldinho, as, as late as last year. The team has been very inconsistent under their new ma- manager, Gustavo Matosas. You can definitely ask questions of them in certain areas. I think that the the change from the 4-4-2 or, you know, the 4-2-3-1, as it were, with Antonio Mohamed shifting into um, a 3-5-2 or a 5-3-2, whatever, has been difficult on the team. I think Matos has expected it to to be smooth um, because they played under that system with Miguel Herrera in 2013, so not too long ago. But again, you know, Mexican soccer, two years can be a lifetime. You can have four managers in that period it doesn't really make <laughs> yeah. make any difference. Right. Um, so they're they're really having trouble defending against quick teams. And I know that Montreal um, have given other Mexican teams like Pachuca a, a rough time, especially um, just kind of, you know, I don't even want to call it a counterattack, a, pu- a pure counterattack uh, strategy. But I know that when they've, decided to go into that into that mode for even short periods of the match they've they've been very successful so i would be very wary of america's back line against guys like jack mack um Mm. in this game and i certainly certainly would hope for um, club america's sake that they they strap their you know a very english thing to say but they they strap their shooting boots uh, extra tight because they've been missing the target on some some seemingly easy chances over the over the course of the last few games. Even during that six nil game when they were they were pretty sharp, um, you got the feeling that that game could have ended ten nil or twelve nil uh, because Eddiano was just so so shell shocked. They didn't do a good enough job of <clears throat> of completely exploiting that advantage, but they they got the job done. Right. Um, so it's 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 a difficult thing to predict now with Club America. Are they the favorites? Yeah, they they are the favorites. They're at home. They've got probably the best team, if you want to look at that roster, in CONCACAF. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few of those guys should be playing in Europe. But whether they are able to translate that onto the pitch for 90 minutes or 180 minutes, mm-hmm. that's going to be hard to tell. So I think the first 15 minutes, if Montreal can survive the first 15 minutes of this game without conceding, 
then they've got a very good chance to get a good result out of Azteca. Yeah, you know, I'm like uh, I'm going to be looking for a couple of things from Montreal's end. Uh, you, you mentioned the speed game, Dominic Aduro is not uh he's not a finisher he's not a guy you trust necessarily to score goals but he can cause problems certainly so we'll see if he's an influence tonight and then the back line for for Montreal they have to be careful uh Samari and Kamara both card risks waiting to happen uh Samari in particular has been playing pretty rough through this tournament so I don't know of exactly um how he can approach this and the atmosphere is going to be a problem for Montreal I, I I just can't imagine you walk into the Azteca a full house in attendance and think that you're going to just t- take a deep breath and get through it. Right. Oh, well, the deep breath part is important too. A lot of these players have not been um, even exposed to a just contamination filled atmosphere such as Mexico city. Sure. Um, I understand. I mean, I think the best part of this game for Montreal is the fact that it's not during the daytime. I mean, if this game were even at 5 p.m., I mean, it's been it's been very, very hot here in Mexico City. Hot and muggy, 80-degree weather. Um, when it doesn't rain in Mexico City, it gets very, very nasty. And, you know, the blue sky turns into a just a grayish muck because of, of, of all the smog in the air. That's been the case. Um, it hasn't rained in Mexico City for the last, I think, the last week. Mm. So it's it's been very, very... Uh, muggy. It's been difficult. That's not going to wash away during the nighttime, but at least it's not going to be as hot mm-hmm. for them. So that makes their speed game a possibility. Aduro, you mentioned, uh, you know, again, there are a lot of guys that can really hurt Club America if you if you want to play that game. So I would definitely hope that they, they push back a little bit when, when the impact have the ball, but it's just not it's just not an easy thing to do, really, mm. to walk into the Estadio Seca, especially for a final, mm. and to just block it out of your mind. The, the game has been sold out. I mean, it's sold out during the pre-sale mm. for Club America ticket, uh, season ticket holders. So that just tells you the amount of, of expectation for this game, and it, it really shows the, the growth of CONCACAF Champions League. I mean, I, I, I fail... Again, I, I mean, I just think about this game, what it would have been two, three years ago, and I don't think it would have been a full house for Club America. I mm. just don't think the interest was there. Right. And to see the current edition of this of this Champions League and to see how it's gone with, with all the upsets and all the difficult games played away from home for, for teams like Club America, it, there's a real interest for this. Yeah. And, and, you know, again, this team has not been to a FIFA Club World Cup since 2006. So it's it's a big deal for fans. It's a big deal for the current management for the players, and I fully expect them to go out and give give all they got. So it's it's going to be a very very difficult game. Yeah, th- th- this this particular final and maybe some of the matches that came before it clearly in the knockout rounds has seemed to elevate the tournament just a little bit. That's a matter of circumstance, as you mentioned, with Club America not going to the Club World Cup since 2006, and maybe three or four years ago there's not this interest. Montreal being the finalist, not only is that amazing and unsus- uh, unexpected. <laughs> But they're also the type of town that can sell sixty thousand seats when they play inside an Olympic Stadium. So that they're going to be that they're going to have that for the return leg. They just need to keep this close. We'll hope you know for from MLS's perspective, from Montreal's perspective, for the for the for the casual fans' perspective, the uh, the uh, nonpartisan just want to see Montreal keep it close at that return leg. Has something left in it. Before I let you go, uh, Eric, and I'm running out of time. Before I have to take phone calls, 
I want to just touch on the Mexico U23s taking on the United States tonight in Carson, California at the StubHub Center. Um, you know, this is an opportunity for um, for Andy Herzog to get a look at, at, at the uh, the team he might be taking to Olympic qualifying. What is, uh, right. what is the, the outlook for Mexico in this game, and, and what kind of talent should we expect to see on the field? Mexico's youth system has been on its hair for the last 10 years. The system that Jesus Ramirez, the guy who won the 2005 Under-17 World Cup as a manager, the system that he set up um, has remained intact, which for Mexico is an amazing thing. I know that you know Jurgen Klinsmann has been talking for the last four years about instilling a system for the United States to play, you know, the, the type of player that he wants to see, the type of strategy that he wants to see, and, and definitely hiring a guy like Herzog is, is, is part of that plan. Um, Mexico has seen several managers go through for the last 10 years at the U17, U20, U23 level, and they've done a very good job of maintaining the course that Ramirez set. So this is a very talented group of players that they've got going into this game. A lot of the 2011 uh, under-17 world champs are, the, are there. Um, you've got guys like Jonathan Espericueta, who recently scored a goal in the Copa Libertadores um, for Tigres. You've got another guy like uh, Kevin Escamilla at Pumas, who uh, debuted last weekend. A very, very good midfielder. Uh, a couple of U.S.-born guys on the roster as well. Uvaldo Luna, the Tigres uh, striker, um, born in, I believe he was born in Texas. Um, I believe he was actually called up for the U.S. U-20s at one point, but Mexico snatched him away. And uh, you've got guys like Marco Bueno, who was also one of those U-17 world champs. He's been getting a lot of minutes in the first division for Toluca. So I think the main difference is that a few years ago, if you would bring a U-23 team into any friendly, into any tournament, it would be kind of a first look for Mexican fans, for a lot of those players, they would not have been getting regular first-team minutes in Mexico. Mexico is one of those leagues that te- you know, typically did not debut guys uh, under 20 years mm. of age. Now they're doing that, and now they're getting a lot of very great results from guys like Gil Buron um, over at Querétaro. And um, you know, I know Manuel, Manuel Lahoud, the goalkeeper for, for Tijuana, has, has been getting... Uh, some pretty good looks in, in, in the cup and other places. This is a team that has a, a very good amount of professional experience under its belt. They've got talented guys, um, guys that I understand have foreign scouts tailing them as of now. You know, Marco Bueno has been on the Premier League's radar for the last three years. He was at one point part of a package deal with Hector Herrera. Um, who eventually ended up at Porto. Mm-hmm. Uh, bueno was going to go to Liverpool with Hector Herrera back in 2000, I think 2011, 2012. That did not come to pass, but he's still a guy that's 21 years old. You know, he can definitely, at whatever point, just pick it up and, and, and go apply his trade in Europe. He's that good. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a very interesting game. Uh, um, if the United States gets another dos a cero, <laughs> you have... Uh, you have my permission to to be even happier for that result than you were for last week against Mexico's C team. I mean, this is a very good. This is the top uh, under twenty three squad that Mexico has to offer. This is the best of the best, aside from a couple of guys who are in Europe. <laughs> yep. So this is a very very good opportunity yeah. for them to to 
start their stuff for sure. Big challenge for the United States and Andy Herzog. I mean, perhaps we'll go over this uh, roster for the U.S. in, in a bit. Uh, we're going to let Eric go. Eric Gomez, 86, on Twitter. Make sure you're following him. He's got some excellent new projects coming up. I know what they are, but they're secret right now, so we'll talk about them later. Eric, appreciate the time and the insight as always. Hopefully we'll have you back soon. Hey, way to build up on the excitement. Thanks so much. <laughs> All right. Let's take a break. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, take your calls. Go again. Look at this roster for the U23s. I'm going to ask you a question about Montreal in the Champions League. Don't go anywhere. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. There we go, back on Soccer Morning. Phone lines are now open, 646-832-3909. Dial it into your phone. Give me a call. Question for you here. As we get ready, not only the, the, look, the, the UEFA Champions League, we're all looking forward to these games. That Madrid Derby game, Derby game. I'm so inconsistent, is going to be fun to watch. Well, regardless of, of the, the physicality on display, these are some of the most talented players in the world. I mentioned uh, Griezmann, and you obviously have Bay. I'm uh, sorry, wow. Um, Cristiano Ronaldo on the field, and James Rodriguez, and, and you know, th- there's talent across the board for these two teams. But in terms of, the, of North America and this CONCACAF Champions League final, first leg coming up at, at Azteca between Cup of America and Montreal, I have to ask, are you MLS for Montreal? If you're an MLS fan and you don't, you're not a Montreal Impact fan, are you rooting for Montreal to get it done against Club America? Do you care? Remember, back in 2011 when RSL went to the final against Monterey, it was MLS for RSL. Everybody was all in. Let's, let's get a title for MLS. You know what? I'm a Chicago Fire fan, but I'm going to root for RSL to win this thing. I'm a Galaxy fan. DC United fan, Houston Dynamo, whatever it is you are. Back then, there was that kumbaya element. It was the MLS version of hashtag team soccer. I'm not a big fan of hashtag team soccer. I'm not a big fan of everybody has to be on board the same train all the time. It just it doesn't rub me the right way, and I feel like we should be evolved past that in the United States. National team, different story. We're not even all for one national team, and that's fine. So are we, are we rooting for Montreal tonight? Do we have to root for Montreal tonight? It doesn't mean I'm rooting for Club America. Let's just be honest about that. Be clear. I'm not, I'm not necessarily rooting for Club America to win, but neither am I going to put a whole lot of emotional investment into Montreal. I feel like our man up in New York, Washington, Shirt number five is not on board with me. I'm not on board with you, Jason. I hate to tell you that. I am. I do have my heart with Montreal, even though I'm not a Montreal fan. And even though I know, I know the technicality. They are not. They didn't qualify as an MLS team. They qualified as a Canadian team. 
But I don't care about all that. All that is just smoke and mirrors. They carry the MLS flag. They have MLS on their jersey. And this would definitely be a milestone for us. I mean, I've been following this league since before it existed. When the U.S. got the uh, 1994 World Cup, one of the provisions was that they start a league in the United States. And I've been following since that day. So this, to me, is a major milestone. Yes, I am from Montreal tonight. And I, I, I implore all MS, MLS fans to support watch on tv tonight and support montreal because regardless of all the technicalities this is a milestone for us mm-hmm. if they if they win now you asked earlier you were speaking to the guests what, what do they have to do i really think if they keep if, if they can somehow keep it to a draw or maybe maybe even a, a 2-1 loss with an away goal yeah. i think they they're in good good form for the the second leg well they definitely need to carry hope back with them to canada and they have to be, they have yeah. to come out of this game tonight with hope now that's what i'm asking what the, what is the threshold for hope you say they'd be in good shape with the, with a one goal loss or a draw clearly a draw would be an amazing result for them and one goal loss Absolutely. a one goal loss with an away goal would be a pretty fantastic result as well uh, do they have hope at three one? Do they have hope at two nothing? Yes, uh, with, yes, with two nothing. Yes, they they have goal with a three one because of the away goal. They still have hope um, because if they win it, they let's say it's three one, and in an Olympic Stadium in Montreal, they end up winning two nothing. They win. Yeah, they win the aggregate because yeah. of the away goal rule. So yes, I still think they have hope with that. Okay, fair enough. Washington from New York uh, saying care, everybody all in on MLS for Montreal. Hashtag MLS for Montreal. Maybe you're not that guy. Let's uh, let's go to Washington State. Who's this? Hello, this is Dustin from Bellevue, Washington. Hey, what's going on, Dustin? Not much. First time calling here. I like the show. I've been listening to it for years on end. So I appreciate that. Uh, my. my <laughs> My quick question is, um, bring a good point about, um, you know, everyone rooting for Montreal. If you're a major league soccer fan, even if it's not your team, you're rooting basically for Montreal. One of my big things I've noticed is that, um, as you know, this week Seattle Portland's playing. It'd be kind of interesting to take a poll and just, I've never seen it yet, but it'd be interesting to see how many Seattle fans would root for Portland if, let's say, yeah, right. Portland made the Champions League final. Yeah. Or vice versa. Well, look, I mean, there's clearly a case by case situation. Do I expect TFC fans to be rooting for Montreal tonight? No, I don't. But I, but I guess you could mm-hmm. make the argument that uh, you know, except in those special cases, people should be. And and again, I I think we should evolve past this. I don't. I, what I what I don't what I don't like maybe is that the league takes up the mantle, or that there are people in positions of uh, of authority. Who are pushing the idea of MLS for Montreal? The fans, if the fans want to choose individually to root for Montreal tonight, I, I can't tell them not to. We've got um, we've got a couple people here on Twitter. Mike says rooting for Montreal, but won't be heartbreaking if broken if they lose. Chris says uh, kind of, but only the novelty of having a non-Mexican team win, win rather than out of some MLS uh, duty sense of MLS duty. Uh, Vamos DCU says I think it builds the tournament in the U.S. If someone from the M- from MLS wins it, I want CCL to be a bigger deal. Andrew says yes. He's going to pull for Montreal. Um, let's see. Uh, Navid says, an MLS fan, of course, we're rooting for Montreal. We're all in this together. Ken says, I'm pulling for Montreal tonight. Portland, maybe not if they get there. And then uh, Mike asked a diff- an interesting question. I'll put this to you, Dustin. 
Do you think that there's a disconnect because they're a Canadian team? I mean, as Washington said, we all realize they didn't qualify because of their accomplishments within MLS. They qualify because they won the Canadian Cup. If Because they're Canadian, does that separate them from American soccer fans who might otherwise root for an American MLS team? I mean, it really, you know, really depends, like you said before, kind of person-by-person thing. So, personally, for me, I'm definitely rooting for Montreal for the sake of MLS, I guess, at the end of the day. That's what I'm doing. All right. All right. I mean, there, there, there are teams in MLS, honestly, that I probably wouldn't root for, being, you know, Portland's one of them because they are my rival, and why would I root for my rival? You know, it doesn't make sense to me. Would you root for Vancouver? Want my rival to get trophies. <laughs> Dustin, if this was Vancouver, would you root for them? Uh, that's a tough one because they're our northern rivals. Um, yeah, but they're so nice. Because at the end of the day, I actually, <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I really, I don't even know at this All point. Right. I, I probably, as a fan, I probably would, you know. Right, but running for Portland it would be the hardest thing for me to do. I could just never do it. And I know, I know for a fact that there are Portland fans out there, or Portland Timbers supporters, Timbers Army supporters, or whatnot, whatever supporter you want to call them. They would probably say no. They would never root for sale anyway, any way, shape, or form. Of course, you know there were people rooting against the Seahawks, and they were from they were from Portland as well. So. You know, you kind of get my drift. Yep, so they hate anything from Seattle yeah. at the end of the day. <laughs> Thanks for the call, <laughs> Thank Dustin. Thanks for taking my call, man. Appreciate it. There goes Dustin in yep. uh, Bellevue, Bye. Washington. Let's move on talk to Ray in Milwaukee. What's up, Ray? Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be 3-1, and I think it's absolutely right that the first 15 minutes of that game is really going to determine the outcome. But uh, I'm rooting for Montreal from a different perspective. My girlfriend is a huge Club America fan, and I'm a Chivas fan. And so uh, there's no way I ever want to see Club America win any title. Of course, of course. Um, yeah, that that that. But that gives you a reason to root for Montreal. That has nothing to do with this all in, all in the same uh, team. We're all on the same team. We're all MLS guys. Everybody root for MLS. Yay, go MLS. I I I just I, it's not again. It's not necessarily. I'm going to, I'm going to call you out for rooting for Montreal. Root for Montreal if you want to. Is this, it's, it's again, it's sort of this notion that there needs to be some sort of movement that we all should be putting hashtags on our tweets for, for, uh, to push other MLS fans to root for Montreal. I, I don't, I don't think that that's necessary anymore. I, I really don't. And I don't, I don't think that you should care. Look, I want MLS to be successful nationally and across two countries, the U.S. and Canada, because it'll benefit the league in the long run, especially with TV rights money and everything else. But I also want people to care about their team. I don't give a crap about any other NFL team but mine. I don't give a crap about any other baseball team but mine. I don't. I don't know why that would be different in, in this situation with soccer. That's true. Which only time really uh, is when money's involved. That's the only time that you really should care if it's not your team. Um, but I just why because uh, you know I got I got to live I got to live with this girl you know what I'm saying she's uh, <laughs> she's already gloating the fact that we they have one more title than us now uh, and the way Club America's form has been uh, one good game and then they have one bad game so if they have a good game tonight they'll probably have a bad game on, on uh, Sunday yeah but well okay that and that might be good for you but that's not going to be good for Montreal <laughs> because they need that bad game to happen tonight and as we just had talked about with. Uh, with Eric, they, they felt Gretro, um, on the weekend. So there goes the bad game. They go and come back with the, with the, uh, the Dr. Jekyll element of it. I appreciate the phone call, Ray. Thank you. Have a good day. Ray in Milwaukee. Ray in the Milwaukee might be verging on a, on a shirt number. 
We got a couple other candidates out there. I know Eddie in Brooklyn is angling for a shirt for a shirt number. If I can get Eddie in Brooklyn on the line, I'll probably give him the opportunity to pick his number. But he hasn't called in over the last couple of days, and we just came up with that idea the other day. 646-832-3909 is your phone number. Maybe you saw this bouncing around Twitter this morning. Interactive uh, map or whatever this is, a, a map of, of English team support by tweets. Uh, so it's a, it's a map of the world, and it's color-coded to show which teams are supported, supported where uh, when it comes to the English Premier League. Arsenal and Chelsea are the most followed teams in the United States. Trevor, I'm not saying that. Trevor's made a terrible pun. I'm not doing that. Uh, <laughs> Arsenal, Chelsea, the most fall. Is that surprising to you? I mean, I, I'm not surprised that Arsenal's popular. I'm definitely not surprised that Chelsea's popular. But I think I, I think I had this sense that Manchester United was the the most followed, most tweeted, most talked about team in the United States. I always felt like like Manchester United had an established base of fans here that, despite their setbacks for the last couple of years that they were still on top of the heap when it came to American soccer fans. Guess that's not the case. I can't get this to scroll so I can look at the rest of it and, and tell you about it, but needless to say, it's all over the place. I think uh, SiriusXMFC actually tweeted it out this morning as well, so go check that out. We've I've seen these Facebook ones usually. The Facebook ones, um, there's a, there was a Facebook one for MLS, I think last week or two weeks ago. Sort of identified where, what teams are supported where in MLS. And you look at that map and some of the spots didn't make sense. And obviously you don't have a whole lot of data in certain areas of the country. There are some counties, I think, that probably don't have a lot of tweets about MLS. Is there, there are counties out there? It's definitely true. There's going to be counties out there in this country that have zero Facebook posts or comments or tweets about MLS. Right. Uh, Dan is uh, Dan on Twitter here. As a West Ham fan, I still root for English teams in Champions League despite rivalries. Is that is that usual? Is that commonplace? I would love to know. Is that a common thing? There are countries out there with zero Facebook posts. Period. Because that they haven't gotten it yet. It's a very good point, Trevor. I, I hadn't considered that. Counties. Counties haven't got. <laughs> they don't have high speed internet yet. Let's see, Brian Carlos says, uh, I don't think so. I would, would Rapid fans feel differently if it was FC Dallas or something? I don't think so. In terms of rooting for Montreal in this tournament. Uh, Dan Wolf 02, MLS is a one, one team club with 20 branches. The support for communism is, is hilarious. So there we go. Got to get those, those digs in and on MLS. It's really not one team club with 20 branches. It's not because these things are, are not as clear as that. Because a club's identity is what you make it and what you believe it to be. It's, it's a nebulous concept. What is a club made up of? It's made up of the fans. Okay. Over the course of, of, of 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, those people change and turn over. Your new generations. The ownership of the club is going to change. The management of the club is going to change. The chairman of the board is going to, the board itself is going to change. The players are definitely changing. So what makes a club a club? The stadium? Maybe. If you have a permanent place to call home. 
Seba Sor. Seba, I'm not going to say your name. It's no different than cheering on your conference in college sports. Well, that's something I think is stupid. So now you know where I stand on that. I'm not a big fan of SEC. It makes no sense to me. Rooting for Montreal because I think the sooner an MLS team wins CONCACAF, the better. Believe MLS and the U.S. men's national team need each other, says Richard. Well, that's this is obviously a Canadian team, clearly, but uh, I guess it reflects back on the rest of MLS. and an on, Does it reflect on American soccer at all? There's American players in this team, but does it, does it reflect on American soccer? John in Texas wants to talk about this. What's up, John? Hey, Jason. How are you doing, man? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. Good, man. I just I wanted to – I don't mean to necessarily beat a dead horse, but I, there's one comment that you made that I wanted to talk about. And you, were, you, know, you said you're, you follow your NFL team, and outside of that, you don't necessarily care about any other NFL teams. And I, and I actually agree with you. On that, I, you know, I'm from Dallas. I follow the Cowboys. I really have very little Ooh, interest in any uh, other NFL team outside the Cowboys. But, sure. but, but no one else um, in I call it league play. You know, no one else in NFL play represents me. And so, so it's I true. think we're not, we're not necessarily talking about the same thing. From a you're right, you're right. With respect to the, the you know the Concacaf Champions League. Uh, no, of course I don't. Right, care, the, the, you know, the, really about Montreal. The Cowboys but, uh, aren't the Cowboys aren't going out into the world, flying the American NFL flag and playing against teams from other places, attempting to win a title. I get that. That's that's definitely a different dynamic at play here. Yeah. So, and that's all. I, well, I want to say that, and I, uh, and I, but I, and I agree with you. I, you know, uh, maybe this whole hashtag, uh, you know, campaign for for Montreal is a bit much. Um, you know, I mean, you know, but but I, I will be rooting for them tonight. Okay, um, fair enough. You know, if they if they lose, uh, I'm not going to go to the local watering hole and drown my <laughs> sorrows all night long. You know, it's it, you know, I, I don't I don't care about them in that way. Right. But I will be rooting for them tonight because I certainly have. Uh, you know, Club America doesn't do anything for me. Well, my is, my team is, doesn't play in, in league right. MX. Well, is so. it is it binary though? I mean, I guess that's the question. Do you if you're not rooting for if you're not rooting for Club America, do you have to root for Montreal and vice versa? I don't think that's. I mean, I'm gonna watch. I'm gonna watch this game as as a sort of a dispassionate observer. I mean, I'll be I'll be thrilled to see Montreal go through for this. Thrilled for their fans. Thrilled for I guess thrilled for all the people who do care about them going through. But I I myself am not tying. My self-worth, my league self-worth, meaning because I'm an MLS fan, I'm not going to tie that to this to this game or this, to this uh, championship series. I'm just not going to do that. i got to move on. Thanks for the call, John. John in uh, Texas, uh, let's talk to Rick in Philly. Probably last caller of the day, Rick. What's going on? <laughs> you know, Jason, you know, I wasn't even going to call in, but uh, when you're talking about, you know, why you support these clubs and all and why you would choose in each matchup, I mean, yeah, I'll, I, I, do, do I hope... America loses. Yeah, absolutely. I hate Mexican football. And, you know, if MLS does well, it's good for all the teams in MLS. But, you know, when you look at, like, teams, oh, I'm going to support an EPL team, even though my team doesn't, that doesn't make any sense to me because the division there, the you know, those are independent entities. MLS, you know, it's sort of a rising tide element to that. But if I, if I did root for an EPL team, I don't think I'd be rooting for Manchester United or Chelsea, God help us to do <laughs> to do well. So you're not. So you're telling me that if uh, if PSV had a nice run in the Champions League, made it to the quarterfinals, and Ajax was done, that you wouldn't be pulling for PSV. Not even remotely. I'd be actively rooting against PSV. Okay, fair enough. And and I think that's. But again, it, but again, that's that's a rivalry thing. I mean, no, I know. It, it, I know. Gets, it gets down to why you why you support a club, and 
you know, if you support an MLS team because you believe that soccer needs to improve its position in American society, then yeah, you're support. Then you support MLS well, as a whole. Uh, this comes if you support a team for ideological reasons or for stylistic reasons. You know, I'd support. I, I support Ajax, therefore I support Bayern, because I like Louis van Gaal, uh, because they play a similar style, because there's ties there. Uh, you know, given the choice, I would support Barca, I suppose, if I cared about La Liga, because, again, there's those ties there. I think this comes back to, and I don't have time to get into it today, and maybe we'll see what the result is tonight, and I have a chance to talk about tomorrow, but it comes back to the notion of how valuable this tournament is to the idea of MLS being legitimate as if MLS needs this tournament to legitimize it, or that whether or not this tournament has the capability of legitimizing MLS, Rick. I mean, that's yeah. that, that comes to the, that's at the root of all of my feelings about where this, and look, again, I have, I've identified the Champions League has gotten a little bit more important this year, taking a small step forward, a half step, if you will. There, there are going to be a lot yeah. of fans in the stadium tonight in Mexico City. There's going to be a lot of fans in the stands in Montreal for the second leg. So that clearly indicates to me something is happening, something's bubbling up and 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 when it rises to the level of wow, this is actually a big deal, I will I suppose I will care about that. The club mm-hmm. the club world cup is its own different thing and whether or not that matters is a whole that's a whole topic. Yeah. And before I hop off, can I get number 14? Uh yes, I'll give you number 14. Uh, Rick in Philly, number 14 shirt number for soccer morning. Uh, we got two now. Uh you <laughs> yeah, so you're number 14, and uh, why am I blanking on who's number five? I just blanked on five. Oh, it's my Wasn't man it Wa- Washington. Yeah, it's my man Washington in New York. That, it's just been a, it's been a day, and we got a lot of stuff going on around here. Rick and Philly, appreciate the call, <laughs> man. There you go. Uh, Rick's, uh, Rick's the last caller of the day. Let's wrap up this episode of Soccer Morning on Wednesday. Again, a full day of soccer. Going to go home. You're going to watch some Champions Well, you're not going to go home and watch Champions League if you're working. But I'm going to go home and watch some Champions League. You're going to try to watch it at work, follow the stories as they happen in Madrid, uh, in Monaco. And then tonight we've got the Champions League of, of the, of North, North America, Club America and Montreal. And then the U.S. So I'm not sure the timing, but whatever. USA, Mexico in the U23s from the StubHub Center. That'll be a good time. We'll talk about all of that tomorrow. Make sure you go to backhill.com slash store. Buy yourself a mug right here. There's the mug. Clink. Uh, make sure you go to 3NLFC.com to buy yourself a Soccer Morning t-shirt. And uh, WorldSoccerTalk.com is your home for pretty much everything on world football. It's definitely the home of Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com slash live if you want to check it out uh, as it happens. Anything else, Trevor? Am I done? We, we wrap this one up, I think. I think we're I think we're probably finished. Thank you very much to Yanis Mahalik and Eric Gomez for joining us today. We'll have two more excellent guests for you tomorrow, I am sure. We'll talk to you then. See ya.